Kevin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Burden of Proof, JC Law's new weekly podcast. Heading into 2024, we wanted to give our podcast feed a bit of a facelift and put out more focused content for our community, so the business of law is now The Burden of Proof, a JC Law podcast. Going forward, we'll be putting out weekly episodes that cover a variety of topics in the legal field, from family law and criminal defense cases, current events, and even inside looks at our firm and how we operate. Each episode will feature different guests, including JC Law attorneys, various outside experts, and more. We really appreciate you taking the time to give us a listen, and for more, subscribe to the JC Law channel and podcast feed to join in on the conversation. Now let's get to the episode. Hello and welcome to The Burden of Proof, JC Law's weekly podcast where we provide answers to some of the legal system's most essential questions pulled from some of our expert attorneys. I'm Tyler Lewis, the media marketing manager here at JC Law, and I'm joined by my co-host here, Peter Crawford, one of our associate attorneys and a rising star at JC Law. Peter? Call me a rising star. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. All right. In our first episode of The Burden of Proof, uh, we'll be speaking to Matthew Thumser. He's one of the experts here in our law firm. He deals with domestic uh, issues all day, every day, whether it be divorces, custody, protective orders, whatever it is, he's going to talk to you about that here today. Uh, He's going to give you some insights on logistics and psychology behind divorce and how to initiate a divorce with your partner. Uh, We'll also be joined by John Trainer, who is a new attorney here at the office, and we're going to give you a little bit of a background on who he is and his background as a professional uh, in the legal field. So without further ado... Like to get into our conversation with Matt. As I said, we're going to introduce uh, Matthew Thumser. He's an attorney here at JC Law. He's handled a tremendous amount of family law issues, including custody, divorce. Mm-hmm. What else have you had? Uh, peace orders, protective orders, uh, some civil litigation, criminal stuff. Uh, most most of my background is in family law. Though. So he's done he's done a lot. So tell me about a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what goes into somebody's initial decision to get divorced. Sure. So, I mean, the initial decision is always a personal decision that you have to make. No one's ever going to be able to tell you when you're ready to file for a divorce. That's up to you. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with custody cases. No one's going to be able to tell you when you're ready. You have to mentally prepare yourself to be ready to file for divorce, file for custody modification, child support modification, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You have to go in there with the understanding that this is going to be a process. It's not going to be something that happens overnight, unfortunately, as much as we want it to happen overnight. You have to mentally prepare yourself uh, to be ready to file, to be ready to have your whole life looked at and be put under a microscope and look back at every decision that you've made and see, is this going to be used against me? Mm-hmm. And be ready for that. <clears throat> and that's the mental aspect of it. It's obviously the financial aspect of it as well. If you do move forward with an attorney, you know, attorneys built for their time. Uh, you have to be financially built. We make money. We do. Believe it or not, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> but you have to go into it knowing that there is a financial aspect to this. Mm-hmm. And the financial aspect not only is to your attorney, but it could be, like I said before, if there's child support, if there's alimony, mm-hmm. if there's property that has to get distributed. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of financial things that you need to think about and say, is this the right time for me to do it? And then lastly, you also have to think about your spouse, your partner, the person that you're filing against. Are they, how are they going to react to all of this? Are they going to go into it with a level head? Mm-hmm. Are they going to go into it ready to fight you? More often than not, they're ready to fight. 
but it's a matter of how much are they going to fight? Are they a violent person? So do you say a lot of the cases you get are after like one big fight, they come in, they're like, I'm just done. Do you think it's more of like a gradual conversation between the spouses? It's usually more of a gradual, uh, gets to a point. Now there could be one big thing that causes the need to get a divorce or to file for custody, um, whether that be finding out your spouse is cheating on you, finding out that your partner is planning on moving to a different state with your child and that you're not going to be able to see them as often. Mm-hmm. You know, those big decisions can come out of the blue, mm-hmm. but more often than not, these are discussions that are ongoing. There are problems that are arising, maybe, maybe not to the same extent mm-hmm. um, as the cheating, moving out of state, things like that, but it builds up over time. I would say even like the limited basis that I've been practicing law, I'm starting to pick up there's certain patterns within these cases. Do you see any like fact patterns that you see that, like pretty common to people who just don't get along anymore? A lot of times it's, you know, for some reason or another, me and my wife just don't love each other. My husband and I don't get along. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a new boyfriend. I have a new girlfriend. That we definitely do it. <laughs> you know, and that, that's with regard to the custody. When it's divorce, well, obviously, you know, oh, I have a boyfriend, I have a girlfriend. Well, that seems to be a problem if we're getting a divorce. Uh, but for custody, having someone else come in and feeling like you're being replaced, mm-hmm. that is a big thing. People oftentimes feel like they're going to be replaced, especially if they don't have primary custody of their kids. Mm-hmm. If they don't have primary custody, they feel, okay, well, this new guy, this new girl is coming in to my son, my daughter's life, mm-hmm. and now they're going to start calling him mom or dad, and I'm going to be left out with my hands up, like, what is, what's going on? No, I've actually heard a lot of different clients say they're really concerned about that, but I don't think there's anything under the law that you can actually do besides maybe an agreement between the parties to prevent mm-hmm. that from actually happening. More often than not, and the way that the courts view these, there's supposed to be the idea that your parent is your parent. Mm-hmm. No one's going to replace them. And it can be used against uh, you or your spouse or your partner in court if the courts and the judge find out that, okay, well now your son is calling mom's new boyfriend dad, and mm-hmm. mom is encouraging your child to call him dad. So I'm trying to get you out of the picture. So there is something we can do about that. Oh, a thousand percent. And that's through you know the whole discovery phase, depositions, whole nine yards, and that's part of the financial aspect that goes into this, thinking about how are we going to be able to prove that your partner is trying to badmouth you, trying to uh, essentially coach your children mm-hmm. into thinking that you're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And once we show that, that helps build your case up and helps you out. Now, I know Tyler recently had a... Had a son? Yeah, a uh, daughter. Had a daughter, yeah. Sorry about that. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you feel about somebody coming into her life? How, how, how would I mean, that affect you? I mean, just even thinking from that perspective, being a kid, and it just kind of confuses you. Like, you're, you're ingrained that whole way growing up that you got mom and dad, and there wasn't really, it's not really kosher, or it wasn't really something where everybody had a stepfather or stepmother or that sort of thing. So it kind of, I'm sure it could cause a lot of kids confusion and being that young and you're still molding your brain that it just kind of, uh, it'll confuse the hell out of them. And I think it gets a lot of kids that are kind of just like, I'm not really sure what the familial makeup is because they're throwing step parents into the mix and that sort of thing. So I'm sure that's where a lot of parents are at, especially when they talk to you. Yeah. And I mean, the statistics speak for themselves and everyone loves to go on Google and look up all the statistics of well, how often uh, 
do parents get divorced? How often does the mom get custody? That's a common thing that I always get asked, you know, from the male clients coming in and saying, well, I'm looking at statistics and, you know, more often than not, mom is going to get custody because I'm a guy and she's a girl. And that's not always the case, but that's something that you have to go into it and you have to talk to yourself and have an honest conversation with yourself and say, okay, it has nothing to do with me being a man, or me being a woman, with regard to who's going to get custody. It has everything to do with the fact that you have to be a fit and proper person to have custody of your children. And that's why you need a good advocate on your side. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> that's that kind of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that kind of takes me to my second question of once you decide to go through the divorce, how do you start preparing for that divorce and what are some of the important factors within the case that you should start preparing for? Sure. So, I mean, again, with regard to, we'll, we'll start with custody cases where divorces that have custody involved in them. Having a place for your kids to stay. Mm -hmm. And whether you're staying in the home, if you already live separate, making sure the kids have their bedrooms, their own beds, and not sharing you know, a bed, especially if it's a boy and a girl sharing a bed. You need to have a proper living space for them. <clears throat> you need to be able to provide for them. That's the utmost important thing. You also have to consider where you're living and where your spouse is living or where your partner's living because you still have to co-parent one way or the other. You have to understand that as much as you may want that person out of your kids' lives, it's not going to happen. No, you're stuck with them for the next 18 years, right? And even more than that. In the court size, you're stuck with them for the next 18 years. But if your kids get married, I'm sure you're both going to end up being there. If they graduate from college, you're both going to be there. So you're still going to need to be able to co-parent with grandkids. Grandkids are honestly another thing over there. They must be grandkids. You you had a child with this person. You are going to be in their lives more often than not, and you need to go into uh, this with that attitude that you're going to be with them more often than not. Mm -hmm. But going back to that, you need to think about how far away are you living from them. Is it going to be feasible to? do an exchange during the week. Is it going to be feasible for one person to have the kids Mondays and Tuesdays, and then the other parent has them Wednesdays and Thursdays? Because mm -hmm. the kids are in school. Are they going to be able to get to school? If you're living an hour apart from each other, you're not going to be able to do an arrangement like that. So you need to have an open and honest conversation with yourself. You need to know about the schools that the kids are going to go to. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if they're enrolled in extracurricular activities, their friends, their ties to the area, Thinking about all of that, you need to be ready for all of that. Going to the financial aspect of it, mm -hmm. you know, if you own a house together and you're going through a divorce, well, what are we going to do with the house? Am I going to look to sell the house? Am I going to move out? Am I going to force my partner to move out? Um, if I force them to move out, mm -hmm. how long can I keep the house for? How long can I allow my kids to stay here for? Mm -hmm. Things like that, you need to be ready for that. Financially, you need to look at all of your accounts and you need to be responsible. You can't just go out and say, all right, I'm going on a trip with the boys to Vegas and we're going to, you know, gamble and see what happens. Like, that's not... Well, you're not putting $25,000 down red? No, I'm not, not right now. Not if I'm going through a divorce. If I'm done with my divorce, then sure, I've got nothing to lose. Why not? But if I'm getting ready to go through my divorce, knowing that, you know, I need a lawyer mm -hmm. to help me get through this process, knowing that my financials are going to be scrutinized like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. well, let's, get, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. What's the common discovery that you go through? Like financial, Financially speaking, do you go through bank statements, do you go through investment accounts, retirement accounts, is all that on the table? You go through all of that. All of that is on the table, and that can even be on the table for custody as mm -hmm. well. 
not even just the divorce, because custody, we're looking at the financial uh, background of each party, because you do need to have some financials to be able to take care of the children. That is a, a custody factor that these courts look at, mm -hmm. because if, if you don't have the ability to support yourself, the idea is that you're not going to be able to support your child, and the courts always look at the best interest of the child. <clears throat> so that is something to consider. But when it comes to you know, your divorce and figuring out how we're going to allocate property, how we're going to divide up bank accounts, how we're going to in, uh, divide up investment accounts, retirement accounts, and things like that, everything gets looked at. Mm -hmm. And they everything gets looked at with a fine-tooth comb. And it's such an invasion of privacy. It is, but you also have to know that it's coming, and it is allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. And it is going to happen whether you like it or not. The most important thing is don't hide anything. Don't make big withdrawals, because if you make those big withdrawals to say, I only have X amount of dollars, I don't have that much. And then we, we're looking in your bank statements and we say, well, you just made a withdrawal of $10,000. Where'd that money go? Are you paying uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Are you hiding that money away? Do you have other bank accounts that we don't know about? You go to Vegas. You go to Vegas and putting it on red, or you're putting it on black, or odd, or even, or you just decide you want to bet on the uh, the game this weekend, whatever floats your boat. I mean, yeah. each their own. But <laughs> all of this is going to get scrutinized, and it can be used against you. Just because that money is not in your account at the time doesn't mean that money is safe and can't be touched. That is money that your spouse may be entitled to. So you have to watch out for that. If you take out money and you spend it willy-nilly to try and dissipate assets, it's not going to be okay for you. You mm -hmm. will get thanked for that. And this is obviously not legal advice, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's something good to know in the back of your mind before going into a situation like this. So Tyler, coming from somebody who is married, who is in a healthy relationship with a, a kid, how does this sound going through something like this? I mean, it sounds like personal hell, honestly. I mean, getting your whole life rummaged up from underneath you and put down in a microscope, it, it uncovers things maybe you didn't necessarily accept or want to look at and it kind of unearths things that you don't necessarily even want to kind of unearth. It's something that I don't even understand the personal toll it could take on a person to kind of go through something like this. Mm -hmm. But um, kind of on the financial side of it too, how is kind of Venmo and Zelle and all those sort of cash app type things play into the financials as well. I assume they're digging into those and tracking those records. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I say we look at the entire financial <laughs> background of a person, we look at everything. And we scrutinize every transaction that's made, every transfer of money that's been made, everything like that. If we see that you're consistently sending money to Joe Schmo through Venmo, mm -hmm. well, we're, we're, it's going to raise a red flag for me. Who's Joe Schmo? What's your relationship with them? Is that a new partner? Is that a business associate? Are you dealing in any other trades? Are you doing anything else? Why do you consistently send Joe Schmo money? <laughs> Something that we have to look at. Then we can utilize that and say, okay, well, Joe Schmo is going to get subpoenaed and he's going to have to testify at your trial. And now we're going to get the whole big picture. And Joe Schmo may have some information that you, your partner, doesn't want to come out. Mm -hmm. So you have to be ready for that. Speaking of Joe Schmo, and Joe Schmo being involved with the parties, what are some more contentious areas besides Joe Schmo getting involved and possibly adultery being something, uh, a cause for divorce? Other causes for divorce could be, from what I've seen, uh, gambling. Gambling is a big thing. You know, gambling is becoming legalized in more and more states. and. 
uh, it's easy for people to get addicted to it. It's like the sports betting. Sports betting, going to the casino, scratch-offs, things like that, mm-hmm. and blowing money on that. Um, just abandonment, feeling like you're abandoning your partner, feeling like you're abandoning your children. Mm-hmm. And that's usually not something that you're feeling, that you're abandoning them, but your partner is feeling that way. You have to watch out for that because you know if you start working late nights, your partner's feeling you're not coming home for dinner, you're not staying with me, it brings up questions. And it gives them that doubt of, do I actually, am I happy in this relationship? Uh, general unhappiness can really lead to a divorce. Um, you know, there, there's a lot, at, at this point with the new divorce laws that went into effect as of October of last year, mm-hmm. you really, I hate to say you get divorced for any reason. I think you can. But you <laughs> essentially you can. can. Speak to that a little bit about kind of how it's over the last, what has it been, eight months or so, how that change has gone into effect and how you see the difference of like, are you seeing a lot more people coming in without just in irreconcilable differences or because you don't have to go through, um, limited divorce stuff anymore, so kind of speak to the absolute divorce and the ease of getting a divorce nowadays, especially in Maryland, specifically because of that law going into effect. So so it's funny because when I started practicing, obviously you couldn't get a divorce based on the irreconcilable differences. And everyone loves to watch all the TV shows with the lawyers and everything, and it's always all the irreconcilable differences, that's why we're getting a divorce. That was not a thing in Maryland until October of last year. So now we've all had to change our approach and let you know our clients know um, that yes, you can get it on that irreconcilable differences. In the past, we used to have to show that there was adultery. We used to have to show that there was desertion. We had to try and find up some evidence that fit one of these grants for divorce. And more often than not, we would always try and, you know, instead of trying to get people to come to an agreement, mutual consent was always the go-to divorce ground that eventually we could get to, that both parties agree they want to have a divorce, Mm -hmm. and they have a full signed agreement with regard to that. That was always a problem because to move forward with mutual consent, you need that fully signed agreement, and (laughs) you can't force anyone to sign something that they don't want to sign, and we're never going to tell a client to sign an agreement if we don't think it's in their best interest. And there's courts for a reason, right? Because people don't always agree about how custody should be the the financial situation, et cetera, people don't agree on things, which is why the court mm-hmm. is there. And without that fully signed agreement, you can't get a divorce on mutual consent. So now we have to show adultery, we need to show desertion, we need to show maybe even insanity, something like that. <clears throat> Nowadays, with the irreconcilable differences, it can just be as easy as, I don't get along with my wife anymore, I, I can't do it, we just don't see eye to eye. She thinks the sky is blue, I think the sky is green. And it could, be, it could be as silly as that. With this new divorce law, we don't have enough case law to really set forth and say, okay, well, that's not good enough for there to be irreconcilable differences. Mm-hmm. But essentially, at this point, until we get something like that, you can really move forward. And it's always a lot more serious than that. That's mm-hmm. just a silly example, but uh-huh. you know, it does open the door. So you're saying this law makes your job a little easier going forward? <laughs> you would think. Yeah. <laughs> But it doesn't really, because at the end of the day, the grants for divorce are always, that's the first thing that gets addressed on trial. Just, you know, do you have grants for divorce? And more often than not, everyone is agreeing that there is a grant for a divorce. Mm. Um, now with the irreconcilable differences, it's just one, it's less time that we may have to spend trying to litigate and prove our grants for divorce. We right. still have to prove it, right? regardless, 
but it's a lot easier to do. Gotcha. So, this will be my last question before we go into our second segment, but how little of irreconcilable differences do you think they can really like go down to? Do you think it could be something as simple as, like you said, they disagree with this guy? Do you just just don't get along anymore, and yep, we want a divorce, and the courts can grant that. I'm very intrigued by it. I'm excited to see what kind of cases uh, start coming out throughout the state um, with the irreconcilable differences, personally, just to see how how minute can we get into. More often than not, it's never going to get to that level of silliness or... Because how do you prove something like that? Because you'd still have to go to the court and prove that it's an irreconcilable difference. And the show it's an irreconcilable difference. It's showing that we just will never be able to get along with each other ever again. Mm -hmm. That this is so serious that we're never going to reconcile. We just can't get past this fact. I don't think we'll ever get to a point where it gets to that level of silliness. Mm -hmm. Would I be surprised with the state of you know the country and the state of the state, frankly, in 2024? No, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of crazy things that are going on, and a lot more mm -hmm. comes out of a lot littler things. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly possible, but I think more often than not, with irreconcilable differences, you're just going to get to a point where it's there's no cheating. We're still living together. We can still co-parent. It's just mm -hmm. the love is not there anymore. The relationship has changed. Fair enough. It is what it is. Fair enough. I know I said that was my last question, but I actually have one more point because you brought up a good point of why we are in this position in the first place. We're trying to obviously push through cases through the courts quicker with the irreconcilable differences. We're trying to make it easier for people to get divorced and not jump over those hurdles of, uh, of going through abandonment issues or uh, whether or not we have to prove adultery, things like that. So do you think, just from your personal belief, that that's something that's positive for society? I think overall it should be, and it could be. Now, it, it all depends on the individual. And that is the mental aspect that we touched on earlier today mm -hmm. about needing to be ready for. You need to be ready for this. You need to understand that if we're moving forward with an irreconcilable difference divorce for you, then it shouldn't be as mentally taxing. I'm never going to sit here and tell you that it's not mentally taxing. This mm -hmm. is your life, and it goes back to being ready to file on your own. Uh, do you think it's good for society that we have irreconcilable differences as a ground for divorce, and makes it, which makes it so easy for people to get divorced? It could be a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing in that it could lead to less contentious issues. But as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times the grounds for divorce aren't really the big contention. It's more about the custody, the division of property, and things like that. But it could also be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Because it could be a bad thing because going back to what we were saying before about, you know, silly reasons to file for a divorce, we could run into a scenario like that where you are in love with your husband or your wife and you don't think there's anything wrong, but they just think that we're at the point where it's irreconcilable and we can't, we can't fix this. And mm -hmm. if they're able to show that they just have no more love and they will never get over it, it could lead to some issues where you're ending up getting divorced when you're not ready for it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Matthew, I appreciate of course. you coming on. My pleasure. Good seeing you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Matt, thank you. Tyler, pleasure. <laughs> Next, we're going to do two segments. The second segment is going to be a get-to-know-you segment, and for this, I have John Trainer, one of our new attorneys here at JC Law. He is a phenomenal attorney. He has a great background at the PD's office. He went solo for a little bit, and he's decided to join us, luckily. So, 
John, thanks for being here. Absolutely. How are we, guys? Good, good, good man. Good, good, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how you first started out in law. Um, I suppose, I mean, I'm a local guy. You know, I'm from around the area. I'm from Glen Burnie. I still live in the Glen Burnie area. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of people would acknowledge that when you grow up in the Glen Burnie area, there are certain needs for attorneys that arise. Um, and then as I was growing up and as I was an undergraduate and I was in college, um, I actually focused on philosophy and specifically philosophy of race, disenfranchisement and systematic oppression in America. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of naturally all leads you to the criminal justice system um, and sort of something that was instilled in me when I was younger um, by certain coaches that I had that you should quote unquote stand in the gap for people if you can. Mm -hmm. So so I'm, in terms of thinking at it, I mean, there's people who need help out there, and there's a select handful of people who have the abilities and have the skills and have the knowledge to be able to help them, and those who can't should, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. um, well, luckily you can. So with some of those cases that you started out handling, what were those cases and how did it affect you? Sure, sure. Um, when I was a young attorney, I was at the Public Defender's Office, obviously. Um, it was fantastic in terms of experience. Um, Baltimore City, for that jurisdiction, is extremely high volume. Um, so on a daily basis, you're looking at anywhere from 20 to 40 criminal matters that all carry incarceration. You're probably in court four out of five times a week. And you also got circuit court matters in terms of jury trial type cases. So you got a tremendous amount of volume going through the courts. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the, not necessarily the struggle, but the challenge comes into play is um, staying client-centered, I should say, because when the numbers are that high, I mean, that office has nothing but great attorneys working for it, mm -hmm. but when you're handling anywhere around 80 to 100 different people and different people's lives and different impacts on their lives and different things that they stand to lose in terms of employment, in terms of children, um, in terms of housing, in terms of cars, anything that they need to make payments on if they unfortunately are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously you do need to be prepared when you get yourself involved in a situation like that mentally um, because it does take a toll on you as an attorney, especially if you care about your clients and how they're going to be going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've talking to you for the brief period of time that I have known you, you definitely care about your clients. I mean, you've been completely client-centered since the day that I met you. You're very good with people, very good with judges, you're very good at advocating on other people's behalf and articulating the things that they can't necessarily articulate. So that's something I appreciate about you uh, since the get-go. Yeah, I try to be. I mean, that's why we do this. You know, I mean, it's the same for you. It's the same for Tyler being involved here at JC Law. The reason that we do this is because we care about people. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the main reasons that I like it here as well is because, like I said, I am from Glen Burnie. Mm -hmm. um, so us being in Lindicum, obviously we have multiple offices. But it's nice to be able to serve the area where you grew up and it served you when you were developing. Absolutely. So besides that, what also brought you or intrigued you about JC Law? Because, I mean, being a solo practitioner, and wouldn't you kind of just want to be on your own, coming into a firm where it's 20 or so attorneys and you're more part of a team, kind of speak to that and what led you to JC Law specifically? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that plays into the importance of, like you said, a team and a right team. Um, if you're going to build anything, as anyone will try to, you need to have a right group around you. So I ended up leaving the public defender's office and I did run my own practice for a little over a year. And it was very successful for me. I was doing criminal and traffic defense all across the state of Maryland. Um, we have 20 some jurisdictions here. I believe I've been in every single one at this point, both district and circuit courts. The exposure was awesome. Um, but as, and being your own boss, you know, <laughs> you can't be that. Um, but when you don't, when it is just you, it's just you. 
Um, so I didn't have any staff, I didn't have legal assistant, I didn't have a law clerk, I didn't have a receptionist, I didn't have someone doing my billing department, I didn't have someone doing my marketing, I didn't have someone handling my sales. That was all me. Mm -hmm. um, How did that shape you as an attorney? Um, I mean, like I said, you can't beat experience, so it's similar to the public defender's office, sort of baptism by fire. Um, it was something where when I left the PD's office, um, I had the idea in my mind that I could bring something to clients and that I could be able to do this on my own, and I was. But what I found was that at a certain point, you can only help so many people if it's just you. Um, if I'm spending two hours a day on the phone, that's two hours a day I can't go and work on research for an upcoming trial. If I'm spending an hour doing e-filing for a DUI case where it has 16 or 17 citations and I have to file five motions under each citation, I can't be talking to clients or potential new clients who need my help. Mm -hmm. um, so once I realized that I was sort of capped out in terms of what I could provide to people, that's when um, luckily a friend of mine who was a state's attorney when I was a public defender reached out and he asked me to come up and help him run a law firm up in Towson. Um, that was a very small firm. It was two of us attorneys with a managing partner, um, and it was very high volume litigation. Um, it also helped because at that point I started doing work in personal injury as well as work in workers' compensation, um, and I also took over their criminal and traffic departments. Um, hmm. The reason that it led me here probably is because the number one reason I was unable to provide full service to my clients was because I was not adequately supported in terms of family law representation. Um, so speaking of family law, what is something that drew you to family law? I mean, is there any specific case or client that you really like to service? Um, I think that what drew me to family law, like I said, is because I didn't do it. Um, so clients and people in general, if you work with one person, if you have a coach that you like, if you have a teacher that you like, mm -hmm. if you have a mechanic that you like, if somebody has an attorney that they have built a working relationship with and they have shared personal information about their life with that you have seen at some of the rougher moments and that you guys have worked together through, they want to keep bringing back their problems, whatever they may be, to that same attorney because that's where the relationship exists. So it's similar to a car if you want to think about it that way. Your transmission has an issue six months ago. Mm -hmm. Mechanic, you had a great time, you really enjoyed him, he did a great job, good service. Next, you have an issue with your muffler. Still in the realm of auto service, you're going to go back to that mechanic. And it's deeper than just the service part. It's about building that connection and that relationship with the client. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it plays in, like I said, to every industry. Because in every industry, not only, like you said, do you want the good service, but you also care about the relationship that you're building and knowing that you're involved with people who care about you and your interests. Mm -hmm. All right, John, well, I appreciate you joining us for the episode and a great introduction. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll see you around more. John. Absolutely. All right, man. Pleasure, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Sounds good. Well, that was a good episode. Yeah, I think we got a lot of insights from Matt in our domestic department and uh, got a little insight of John, the attorney. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, well, first I want to thank both of them for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate both mm -hmm. of you guys not only working in JC Law, but coming and doing this. You didn't have to. You spent your time, your your hard um, fought time on this, and I, I appreciate that. And I think our audience would really appreciate it as well. There's a lot of good nuggets in here, and if you're ever considering a divorce, it's definitely a good start. Absolutely. And then stay tuned for the next episode. We will be covering the basics of property um, and asset distribution in a divorce, so keep an eye out of that on the JC Law podcast feed on YouTube and all our major podcasting platforms. So you can... Uh, Follow our social platforms below, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and uh, keep an update 
for new episodes to come. And if you have any other questions, go to our website at www.jamescrawfordlaw.com. And lastly, if you or a loved one are dealing with a legal matter, whether it's divorce or something else, the absolute best thing you can do is obviously contact an attorney as soon as possible. We deal with this stuff every single day. This is who we are. Contact, doesn't have to be us, but contact a law firm soon. Uh, you can always call us if you need us and give us a call at 888-JC-LAW-10 or visit the link in the episode description to speak with one of our attorneys in a free one-on-one -on -one legal consultation. At JC-LAW, we're here to help no matter what. So thank you guys all for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you.